0: Welcome to the Body Electric Podcast. My name is Nathan Hiltz. This is episode 18 for February 13th and my special guest today is the fantastic bassist Michael Heron. He's a prolific artist who's got a number of very creative projects and he's a busy working musician on the Toronto scene. We had a great time chatting. I hope you enjoy our talk. I want to wish everyone a very happy Valentine's Day. I hope you all have a very romantic weekend. Um, if you're interested in hearing some music this month, and you happen to be in Kingston, um, I'm going to be there on February 21st with the Griffith Hiltz Trio. Uh, you can get more information at uh, ghtrio.com. Uh, my website is NathanHilts.com and uh, my Twitter name is Nathan Hilts. Thanks a lot. Bye. Michael, how's it going? It's going great. How are hey, you? Very well. Very well. Thanks for doing this with me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. A nice uh, college street apartment, little Italy. Little Italy. I love it over here. Totally. And You even have the espresso, which uh, which I appreciate.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so how's the bass? The bass is great. It's uh, it's nice too. It's actually nice to be home to it because I just was away for a couple of weeks playing my uh, little travel bass. So.
0: Ah, right. So you were down south, really. Panama. Far. Panama. Wow.
1: Yeah. Cool. It was uh, awesome. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Totally.
0: So that was the jazz festival down there.
1: Yeah. Me and cool. Rebecca. Rebecca Hennessy, I guess I should be saying full names on the right. podcast. Yeah, uh, I guess so. Uh, have a band called Way North that we started while we were in New York, mm-hmm. and um, so we went along with our drummer friend Richie Barche and and uh, played at the Panama Jazz Festival. Amazing, yeah, amazing. It's a great festival. It's really happening. Did a lot of playing. We got like to play in this piano player Kevin Harris's band, and I got to play with this Peruvian singer named Marta Galdos. Did a bunch of like Afro Peruvian music, which is well past my Comfort zone, but right, it was really right. fun to learn. Ah, oh, interesting. And uh, you know, got to hang out with some great people. Wow. And then... great to be a musician, eh? Yeah. What a great good. way to travel. It's a perfect way to travel. Yeah, yeah. And did you get to hit the? Uh, you know, did you go surfing
0: or anything like that? Or no, um,
1: it was kind of like a working vacation the whole time. Um, we spent this week at the festival, and we really, like, were busy. Like. Mm. We, we rehearsed and played, I mean, I played on th- three big sets, plus at the last second they asked us to play on the Saturday Outdoor Mega Finale Concert, mm-hmm. and then we saw a ton of music, you know, Daniela was there, John Pettitucci was there, Randy Weston was there, mm-hmm. um, David Murray was there with Jerry Allen and Lynn Carrington, like, it was really quite... Star fun. study! Yeah, it was yeah. really amazing and really dense, and plus we did a bunch of to teaching, so mm-hmm. we shot our own clinics, plus we kind of sat in on each other's clinics and right so yeah it was really busy but really fun Mm -hmm. and then um, also through Richie we went up to this NGO run kind of private rainforest or reserve Mm -hmm. and uh, it's called earth train or I think they're rebranding to be called Geoversity Hmm. and so it's this spot where they're sort of working on ecology and forest preservation and uh, sustainable forestry Mm -hmm. and Nathan the guy that runs the place likes to kind of mix People from different worlds together and so he likes having jazz musicians up there along with a naturalist and mm. all the different people they had a bunch of people they were entertaining who they're hoping to become big-time donors to the place so mm-hmm. we were in the jungle for the second week we we're there the whole time working hard playing a little bit and hiking a lot and uh, right, right. yeah that's so cool yeah yeah I love that so, yeah, and
0: awesome. uh, yeah that's great so um, what have you been doing on the, like, in terms of, you know, music creation lately? I mean, that's a, yeah, well,
1: it definitely has got me home and wanting to write. Yeah, uh, it was really good, like, creatively rejuvenating, for sure, like, Mm -hmm. I felt, like, inspired, inspired by the music I saw, like, it was interesting to have kind of that New York experience of seeing, you know, seeing Daniello play, or people like, you know, being, like, in that kind of jazz jazz world, and then also, like Richie does these crazy found percussion videos where he like hits trees and bamboo and stuff, and so we were part of making a video of playing playing the jungle sort of, and wow. so it's interesting just to sort of be in nature but literally thinking about music at the same time and playing mm. and we did some improvising, you know, with the kind of just the jungle around and stuff, and mm. it was yeah, it was awesome. So it definitely got me back sort of hungry to write and hungry to play and mm. yeah. That's great. That's that's
0: something I'm always trying to find is inspiration. And yeah. you never know where you're gonna get it. I no. imagine going to that festival. I mean, it sounds like it's gonna be pretty inspiring, but you yeah. I mean, it's some interesting places to find that inspiration. Totally.
1: And plus teaching, like it's amazing. like uh I had I taught a bass workshop. It's the first time I've taught a bass workshop with a translator. So, you know, this person's speaking in Spanish while I'm talking, so it's weird to be like, and now you should try this and then you have to wait and and the translator, of course, doesn't know all the music words, but then half the class speak great English and they're all helping. It's really positive right. that way. But, you know, I, Richie got up and played some drums on it and we were talking about working on time. And one thing I'm really into working on is, is singing and playing at the same time, like mm-hmm. trying to like, you know, keep both things going. And, mm-hmm. you know, so we go, I'm trying to, I was, I said, okay, well, watch me sing C jam blues while we play dotted quarter notes through, through the blues. And then I made a mistake. And I was like, ah, there's nothing like teaching to be like, yeah, oh yeah, 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 it's time to, uh, time to buckle down and yeah. work on some of the stuff myself that, I, yeah, you know, you yeah. feel like you got there, but yeah, you know, totally. when push comes to shove.
0: That's an, so that's an interesting, uh. Thing to do, so you sing the melody while playing time on your instrument. I guess yeah. horn players wouldn't be able to do this exercise, no. unfortunately. unless Rebecca, they play piano.
1: After right after the workshop, Rebecca was complaining about that. that ah, yeah, yeah. It's not. It's a no go. <laughs> yeah, but guitarist, that's guitarist. You could definitely, definitely do. be doing yeah. that for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's. I find it really good. I got into it from Ari Honey I had a lesson with him maybe five, five, six years ago, and uh, he was into clapping like all that you know the crazy metric modulation stuff he's into Mm -hmm. so he'd be into clapping one of the rhythms and trying to sing a tune at the same time right and so then you know i kind of move from from like if i can't do it then i'll clap it and then i'll try to move to playing on
0: the bass Mm -hmm. and what uh what sort of effect do you find that that has has had on your
1: on your playing it's i think it's really good for stabilizing your rhythmic stuff Mm. like uh if if you want to be able to have some push and pull in the rhythm, whether you're trying to do fancy, fancier things like metric modulation or, or you know, playing more complicated rhythms or even just playing simple rhythm, to be able to keep the original time, it forces you to be honest with the original time no matter what you're playing. Mm. And uh, right. I think it's a great touchstone to make sure everything is in one spot. Right. And do you think that there's
0: deeper you can go with the time? Is there always deeper you can go with the time?
1: Yes. Yeah? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I also had a lesson with Ben Street a couple of years ago who was into similar kind of things. Uh-huh. And he was into taking the Afro-Cuban like, uh, 12-8 bell pattern mm-hmm. and using that as kind of a, an underpinning for, for swing. Mm. And then, you know, when you do that, you can have, your, you could have the time pulse going in 3 or in 4. So he'd like have you do it and keep the time going in three or in four in your feet, and then so he's like, okay, keep the time going in three in your feet, but then do a walking baseline in four, right? And you know it's interesting because I've I've never hung with the Barry Harris thing, but Barry Harris students I've talked to always say he talks about the six that you should be feeling the six against the swing, and mm-hmm. to me that's that same idea, right? You've got the three you know going, and then you've got the four going, mm-hmm. and and I think it's common you hear when you hear people talk about the sort of depth of swing they usually talk about going back to a sort of afro six mm-hmm. thing and so i think that idea of being able to feel three and four simultaneously mm. or you know in 12 is, mm. is kind of i think there's a lot of depth there interesting yeah very cool as, as kind of a way to look at it or work
0: on it Mm-hmm. neat so uh, how did you uh how did you get into bass in the first
1: place anyway i think it's because i'm tall it's because <laughs> you're tall yep. uh when i was growing up in victoria um they had ukulele as a teaching instrument in elementary school, and um, part of, oh, you're from Nova Scotia, right? Yeah. Or did you encounter the Chalmers Doan ukulele? You know, I did. There?
0: I actually encountered Chalmers Doan as a vibraphone player. Whoa. He, I didn't know he was a vibraphone. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. I think I'm right. He, either that or he has a relative, but I'm pretty sure
1: it was Chalmers Dome and He played at a restaurant downtown in whoa. Halifax, and I got okay. to play with him a couple times. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah so I, his it, method was huge out in Vancouver Island. Right. And um, part of that world was having a bass player and a drummer, playing with the ukulele group, and I right. and I wanted to ask to be the drummer, and I was too shy to ask. And then my teacher was like, "Do you want to play the bass?" And I think it's was a, a size related. Right, thing. I see. And Cause you're then, tall. Yeah, yeah. And then um, my parents were always super supportive, and they got me bass lessons. And then my early bass teacher found a five hundred dollar bass that was for sale, mm-hmm. and was like, basically told my parents like, this was a one time chance. Like, this thing, you know, that doesn't really come out very often. And they bought me a bass. So wow. I had a bass from when I was about 10. Fantastic. Which was a definite... Yeah. yeah and so did that. you have the bug then? Like, did you
0: want... Did you really...
1: I think so. I yep. think so. I mean, quickly, teachers went from wanting to teach me, like, the music I was playing, you know, accompanying the ukuleles, to teaching something else. So, mm-hmm. and you know, in, in the world of jazz musicians, usually the thing you're trying to foist on your students is jazz (laughs) yeah (laughs) like and uh so jazz kind of got pushed on me that kind of way really early Mm -hmm. and then i went to a summer jazz workshop and uh just people were really supportive i feel like i just kind of got got kind of encouraged early on in a way that made me want it and Mm -hmm. i've always loved it so
0: that's great yeah so you you
1: heard it and it's something you really resonated with you
0: like what artists were you into at that time your first right up? at the
1: beginning I mean the first person I ever the first jazz concert I ever went to was Hugh Fraser oh and so I Maybe. saw that band play and his bass player Chris Nelson who passed away recently way too young uh, was really supportive of me and I like it was a workshop like it was a workshop concert and so I like asked a bunch of questions and was mm-hmm. super nerdy and and then he was really encouraging and then he taught at a summer jazz workshop I went to and mm-hmm. that was really cool um, I remember having a tape of Miles Davis around midnight. Like a cassette that someone made me. I had Bright Size Life really early. Mm-hmm. I yes. had Monk Monk and Train really early. And then my parents had the Smithsonian collection of classic jazz that mm-hmm. it was like whatever, six or eight cassettes. I can I don't know mm-hmm. what it, it was on cassette for sure. And I was super into the end, which I feel like most people normal people wouldn't be, but there's an excerpt from Ornette's Free Jazz, there was Lonely Woman. Right. And there's something else. And there was like that stuff. I was like, Yeah, what is this? Mm-hmm. And so that's it. You know, I find it
0: interesting to find out what people first listen to because I'm not sure if you you would uh, agree with this, but the stuff that I heard when I was young yeah. is still in my head and I feel like it's in my head and heart way deeper than a lot of the stuff I listened to since, you know. I think at that time, like maybe when your brain's forming that stuff can get into you more than it can at an older age, you know, yeah. but I feel like it has something to do with where you go your entire life as a musician. You know? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And yeah, I mean, also you had less you know, you had, like, six CDs or whatever, What you yeah. know, your parents' cassettes or whatever it was that you had, so yeah. I feel like you listened to those, or for me anyway, I listened to those things over and over in a way that, especially in the Spotify world, it's harder to buckle down and mm. and be like, I'm going to listen to this totally so much. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, I'm always sort of wondering why those early ones are so deep in my head and how to get newer ones in there the same way. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah. Repetition. Repetition. Absolutely.
0: Nice. I find with uh, streaming services now that allow you to download to your phone so you can listen to yeah. offline. Yeah. I, I'm getting a little bit more of that repetition mm. lately, which is right. kind of an interesting development. You know, I signed up for Apple Music and it works that way. Yeah. So and I've been trying not to, like, make my cell phone bill be 150 bucks every
1: month. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I've been thinking. I read a book uh, called Primacy of the Ear by Ryan Rand Blake. It's a mm. book all about ear training. And, uh, it's kind of about like deep ear training and listening and how you make your own sound through ear training. Mm. And, um, he talks about making listening tapes, like, and making a tape that's like, I can't remember how long he says, but maybe it's like at one side of a cassette. I think he wrote the book in the cassette era. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, like having like a handful of tunes that you're really checking out. And and he was talking about even excerpts, like having a solo you're checking out or having just the, how the head got played or sung that you really like from some version or, mm. And I find I listen that way anyway. I get kind of obsessed with a tune more than, more than uh, an album. Mm. Like when Paul Blay died, Tony Malavi posted um, the, the "All the Things You Are" version from Sunny meets Hawk on, on, right. on the little Facebook, and yep. uh, that's a cool record. And uh, I, you know, I'm embarrassed to say I really haven't listened to the whole al- like I have had the whole album on sort of, but I've listened to that "All the Things" like a lot of times. So I feel like I kind of get more excited by a tune than an album these days. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, well, why
0: don't we play a tune? Sure. Let's play. Let's play a tune. Yeah. I don't want to talk more about those. The ears. Uh, what do you feel like? Uh, do you want to play all of you? As all of you. Beautiful. Yeah. E okay. flat. E flat. Okay. Do you want to take the melody? Sure. All right. Wherever yeah. you want it. Four notes of the melody. Dun, dun,
1: dun. I always went up the scale. Is that what it is? Cool. I don't know.
0: I feel like I always lose the last four notes of a melody of a tune because it's yeah. always like you know.
1: Yeah. Art, exactly. Or or whatever know. it is. You know? They're all the same. Yeah. Because I always think because I, I like the sound of it going like uh, the chords going diatonically. Like, That's the official, I don't know if that's the official plan or just something I've mm. liked over the years.
0: Right. Well, it sounds so good. So inspired. I mean, I just love the level of interactivity. I love the, the feel. The feeling's great. It's just so easy to play with you. Thanks. Well, I
1: was attributing that to you. Yeah. No.
0: <laughs> it's really, really cool. Um yeah, feels nice. I was wondering if you could talk about um, getting stuff from your head onto the base. Like, you know, how, you know how you get all these things that you hear and then they just come out of you, but how do you make that happen?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, Mark Polias, who I studied with for a long time, used to say, like, find things that are hard to play and work them out, or, so that when you need it, it's there. Or you or sort of talk about technique that way, like, you're working on these things, so in case you need it. Like, he was talking about all these, like, four finger bass things, which I have never, really never really worked on, where you'd play it like a guitar, you know, like, with one finger per semitone instead of, you know, two fingers on the third semitone. And, sort of like extended technique things that, mm. and I was kind of like, well, what's, what's the point? Mm. And he was like, well, it could get you out of a tight spot. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think technique's part of it, you know, just in, in being able to execute s- stuff, <laughs> you know, right. the stuff. Wi- a wide range of stuff in yeah. your hands <laughs> means that when it's in your ear, it's there. Mm-hmm. Cause I think when your inability to play something gets in between, you know, your, Whatever ear imagination and mm. the music, then that sort of puts a big mm. damper on it. Mm. And then I guess the other thing in my mind is just good old fashioned ear training that that the more you can hear, then hopefully, hopefully the the gap between what's in your inner ear and and hands is is as short as possible or small as possible, and just what comes out. Mm. It's interesting to think about though. I don't. I was sort of thinking about both composing and improvising and trying to think of like what aspect of it is intellectual and what aspect of it is intuitive. Like, what is this what you hear? Like, because there's not really time to hear something and then go, what is that that I hear? And then get it on your instrument. So it's a funny, like, anytime people talk about these things, like sometimes they get kind of idealized, but I was trying to figure out, like, what does it actually mean? Like, Mm. what does that thing that's in your ear mean? Because... Really, you're not like singing a line and then playing that line. There's no time. No. So how do you like, I feel like there's sort of a romanticized idea in there somewhere that there's like an intellectual idea of it that's separate Mm. from what really happens.
0: Mm. Well, I feel like it's something about like maybe in your head you can make the fantasy of what uh, an amazing solo would be. Yes. You know, and, and create, it can be ongoing created in your head and I guess the idea is that that ongoing creation happens is executed simultaneously on the instrument yes that's sort of what I that's what I think almost like
1: intuition like yeah there's like yeah. there's no time for either a like thought or b mm-hmm. like this idea of hearing something and, mm-hmm,
0: and realizing there, I mean it. there's a direct relationship too with like just li- like listening to the music too I think yes absolutely I mean, I mean we're, we're bringing that into us and then it's going out of us
1: at yes. a later time yes you know but the, then that's you. I don't know. Exactly. There's two There's two meditation ideas I like about, that I think about. One of them came from Jerry Grinelli, I think. Oh, and, uh, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. It's an East, it's an East Coast. East Coast. Co- it's but, coincidentally East Coast day. Yeah, yeah. Not even planned. Yeah. Um, I was at a workshop with him, and he was doing a lot of this sort of like deep listening stuff, where it's like, he was just talking about how much we block out. You know, like if we sit here right now, we're listening to each other, but we're not listening to the sound of the fish tank over there, let alone the sound of the car going by or whatever other stuff. There's lots of aspects of our hearing that we're felt like our brains are filtering Mm. sort of for our benefit. Mm -hmm. What's, what's necessary. And so I think, I think, you know, he was sort of talking about as a meditation listening, like how much can, how wide and deep can you listen to everything? Mm -hmm. And in meditation, there's kind of two streams of meditation. One is sort of, Allowing everything, like being aware of everything and not judging, and letting everything come into you. And the other kind of meditation is like concentration meditation, where you're like narrowly focusing on something. You know, like you'd like have a mantra, or you'd be like staring at a candle, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think some someone else sort of told me the idea of really listening to your own sound. So I feel like that's kind of the opposite. Like you could either, in my mind, you could be playing and really listening to. Everything like as much as possible taking every everything which in my mind sort of means everybody else I guess you're part of that sound, but mm. really trying to be aware of everything, but another way if you really focus in on your own sound Like how perfect is your sound like not how perfect are your notes But the sound you're making and if this if you really think if the sound you're making fits the music then I think You're mm. in some intuitive space that That's mm. right
0: mm. Deep <laughs> I'm gonna to have to listen back to that and go over the, what you just said. <laughs> I don't like, know. I mean, they're just no, they're just kind of they're
1: kind of ideas that yeah. I feel like both of them are almost like tricks I've yeah. used when I find it hard. Uh-huh. Like you know, if my brain turns on and I feel insecure, or mm-hmm. if if I just can't sit, you know, you're playing with a band and just can't settle. You can't figure out what it is, or mm-hmm. sometimes either or both of those for me can help me find a spot.
0: Yeah, you know, I think I see that in my own practice too. Like that, you know that's one of the things when I feel disconnected from the guitar and then I like I don't have any inspiration or any music coming out on the gate, it's often like getting the sound right, right. Uh, on the on the amplifier or yeah. well, like that, getting the amp next to my face or something like when I can feel good about how I sound then I you know then yeah. I can it it allows my ideas to flow better and then at my at home practice I've actually started plugging in at home which, which I, I used to never do hmm. but for a guitarist that's kind of part of the sound but to sure, hear yeah. the, how the note blooms and how the note yeah. kind of comes out of the amplifier that's kind of an important part of it but something but it's physical it's yeah. like an oral physical thing that it's i can't really put a finger on but
1: the amp is a huge monster like and i totally agree with you like at when i'm not particularly good at amps and and when the amp is not doing well for me it it really negatively affects my playing and mm. only recently i've been getting better at it and i usually find actually turning down like for me like if it if i'm having a hard time with the amp sometimes just Getting it lower, like, mm. the more you can have the real bass, the better. Yeah. Yeah. For me, anyway. What about festival stages? Like, yeah. I, mean, I find that,
0: that impossible, the worst, probably the worst place to play. Yeah. Big Monst- festival stage. Yeah. Which should
1: be the best gig of your year. Exactly. Well, everyone, like, it's your fanciest gig of the year. Absolutely. And yeah. then you get on stage with just a line check and some dubious amp. The bass amp is often this monster, like, yeah. stack yeah. of, like, rock and roll portions that... Yeah. <laughs> you have no experience with, and you're kind of like, oh, hello, monster amp that I don't know how to deal with, and, Hmm. yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I don't have a good answer to that. No good answer. Other than, I mean, you know, just the, you know, I mean, you must have a bag of tricks you know, too, where you see the Fender Twin, or whatever it is, whatever the equivalent for you is, that's the monster amp that maybe you weren't hoping for, or whatever. Yeah, I think
0: it's about a pint and a half of beer before I go on stage, maybe, just to, desensitize uh, myself (laughs) to the... uh, (laughs) And, but also getting the amp next to my face is sort of my, my yeah. approach. And then, like, the, I don't care what anyone else in the world is hearing at that time. But to have mains bouncing back at me and, and yeah. then all the open space and the open air yes. and the and monitor mixes of everything, I mean, I, I, I have a hard time connecting with my sound at that yes. and feeling good about what I play. It just, everything goes off into the
1: distance and is yeah. dead feeling to me. Well, one of my big things is, is as little as possible monitors. Like right. I, I find that monitors create a really fake thing, and if possible, the setup is close together as, as you can set up. Like mm-hmm. I saw Zorn's Masada band play at um, Danforth Music Hall, mm-hmm. and they set up in like the tiniest square. Like it was like Greg Cohen and Joy Baron right beside each other, and really? Dave Douglas and Zorn are right in front of them. They're on this big stage, and they're just like the four of them, super close together. Wow. And uh, that's sort of my goal when possible. Mm-hmm. I like to be in a C. Like, I like it when everyone can see everyone. I don't like that horn's right in front of the rhythm section feeling. But, mm-hmm. but if the C can be tight so that everyone can see each other and uh, mm. and you're as close as possible. But, you know, it's not like sometimes the drums are on a riser and they're pre-miked and you say, can we pull the drums forward?" And the techs look at you like no. you're the biggest idiot they ever saw. And the bass yeah. amp's way over in the back. And yeah. that's how it goes. And right. But in a perfect world, close together and as acoustic as possible is my... Cool. That's my dream of the festival stage. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: so maybe you could tell me, um, we, we talked about technique a little bit. I'm wondering, what, what is technique to you on the bass? Like, is it something that, uh, is, uh, that you maintain, or is it something that you're trying to grow with, or is there a comprehensive way that you can practice the technique of the
1: bass, or is it is
0: it changing?
1: What is it? I mean, for, for me, te- te- the word technique means, like, your hands ability or what are your hands and your ears ability to make what needs to happen happen mm. and uh, for me it's an ongoing, there's, al- there's always more mm. um, I think. I mean the bass is hard, there's no frets you know and so there's a huge amount of ear involved in in where your hands go or mm-hmm. ear and muscle memory together and uh, I mean yeah there is Nick Fraser always talks about one aspect of technique being like flossing, the, the things you have to do every day to uh, stay healthy, Right. which I think is a good, is a good metaphor. Mm-hmm. So there's like, there's some aspect of things you do to keep it, keep things going. Uh-huh. I sort of rotate those things. Like, I don't know about you, if you have a, a, an actual warm up routine or something, you do exactly the I'm same. i trying every to figure day. out. That's why I'm asking you here yeah. today. Actually. I have like, I have some sheets. I went to Helias once and said, Hey, my practice routine sucks. Mm -hmm. what what should i do and he gave me these sheets from this bass player a classical bass player Mm -hmm. and um they were they were called the six phases and each sheet was like play these scales like this play these arpeggios like this do this weird technical exercise do this thing and it would be sort of like four or five things Mm. in the end for me like you were supposed to be able to do the whole phase in an hour or something and it was always too much like Mm. but it was still something to sort of beat through every day and it would get easier as you went through it and then I never knew when to move on, because you never felt, mm-hmm. like, I never felt like I could play all the scales up and down the bass at any tempo with all of these specific bowings and stuff, right. like, and just, you know, when you're like, okay, I, I'm done with scales, like, you never graduated from scales, so. Scale, <laughs> so how do you know when to turn the page, but I'd sort of get bored, and or, yeah. or, my, or my practice would start to, like, get less, like, because I feel like I was sort of tired of it, so then yeah. I'd just turn the page and find right find the next ones and it's like oh fancy that on the next page there's scales but now they're slightly different so yeah it was a good way to keep engaged but for me now i just have those kind of things i sort of rotate through mm-hmm. i like playing double stops mm. like scales and double stops stuff like that and and some scales scales in different groupings with the bow or mm. right so some exercises that you create yourself. Yeah. yeah a lot of them came out of that those sheets and just sort of the best out of those sheets or things i've extrapolated from them
0: right cool I'll have to try to dig those up see if I can apply them to the guitar yeah totally
1: yeah,
0: yeah. um well why don't we play another another sure. tune yeah I'd love to hear you play the melody I okay on. do you want to try Daryl's at yeah let's do it Fun. Right, yeah. Thank you for reminding me of that tune.
1: Yeah, well, I just I don't even know how I stumbled over it last night, but uh, mm-hmm. that Cold version is. Uh, oh yeah. Smoking. Yeah,
0: the, I think it's actually a traditional song too, right? Yeah, I, I think, think it's just Swedish. Sweet. Sweet, right? Yeah. Swedish folk song of some sort. Right, right. right. Cool. So um, you you write a lot, right? That's yeah. sort of something you're you really into. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Cool. It's kind of neat that you're you're so deeply into like you know the art of improvisation and you know, the jazz tradition, but also your, your writer. So uh, what's been going on with your writing lately?
1: Uh, I haven't been writing that much last a while, I, huh. it's been a bit slow. Um, kind of a bunch of new stuff came out the last little bit, like uh, we've got the newest Peripheral Vision album going, and actually we got we got about 12 new tunes between Don and I that we've been touring the last year. Mm-hmm. And then I've got a new album coming out in March uh, of quartet music with Dave French, Chris Gale, and Nick Fraser. Nice band. Yeah, it's really fun, and it's yeah. it's been fun to be because Peripheral Vision is, is a bit more on the modern side of things with the kind of guitar-y modern jazz with uh-huh. Trevor and Don, and and so it's been fun to be a little more '60s jazz or something with with this thing. Right, we play but chordless. Bit, yeah, chordless. We uh-huh. play a bit of Mingo stuff and then a bunch of mm-hmm. my tunes. So, yeah, I've been trying to get back into it. I I've, I've actually the last couple of days since being home from Panama, I've been sitting down and trying to. Mm-hmm. It's kind of it's annoying when you haven't been writing. I find because it takes a while to get it happening again. I feel like you have to write like a bunch of bad stuff or something to clear uh, the cobwebs. And are
0: you a daily daily writer kind of guy? I uh, want to be, but you no. You want to be, yeah. but I, I sort of go
1: in phases where I am like I've I have been writing every day this week uh-huh. a bit, and uh, I'm hoping I'm assuming it's going to keep going for a bit till some stuff gets written, and then. Mm-hmm. And do you do you
0: write at the bass? Um, Not very much. No, I
1: usually write at the, the piano. Ah. And for a long time, I wrote very much right into finale, and kind of the digital thing was part of how I was writing. And oh, interesting. Lately, I've been trying to just write with paper just as a change of pace. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this fall, I've sort of been off for a couple of months since being on the road and then being in Panama, but uh, I've started taking composition lessons with Sasha Rappaport mm. at U of T, doing sort of counterpoint work, which has been really interesting. so Cool hasn't i haven't noticed a direct correlation in my uh, jazz writing yet but. right so uh what are the exercises like
0: is it, is it kind of it, the standard way of it's figure, kind of we're work? working on figured <laughs> bass
1: um so it's it's through corelli so it's like uh, baroque figured bass mm-hmm. and uh he's got me just writing out uh like realizing the figured bass so it's kind of like writing out chorales or you, you there's like the melody and the like a figure bass comes like a lead sheet where there's like a bass line with the figures that tells you what inversions and all that, and then mm-hmm. the melody, and then the the harpsichord or whatever would improvise the middle, you know, the, the voicings, and so he's got me sort of writing out the middle voicings as if it was more like a chorale, mm-hmm. with the proper voice leading and the, all the picky rules and all that stuff. Right, right. So doing that, and then composing tunes in that style, mm. sort of short, short Baroque dances. Right, right. So... And yeah. so do you play your little Baroque dances on the piano? Like yeah, answer? and a ton of piano playing. He's got all these piano playing exercises, like mm-hmm. figured like, as if you were a Baroque harpsichordist that like and you know, and you have to be able to play them and follow the rules on the fly. Like mm. you no know, no parallel fists and all that good stuff. Ah, so wow. It's been interesting. He kind of described it to me as being like playing long tones on your instrument. Like it's the kind of fundamentals of writing. So mm-hmm. and that's what I went to him for. I was looking to get some I have no classical composition training at all, and sort of mm-hmm. t- 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 hit some of the nuts and bolts and see right. what what that does to my jazz yeah, writing. Interesting, must be refreshing to like uh,
0: to work your composition with some form with a format with like yes you know taking lessons is is so great yes yeah. it's nice
1: it's nice to have some rules and some deadlines yeah. and yeah, yeah absolutely
0: yeah I love that I find that makes all all my other practice so much more worthwhile like you know so the blank page in you know figuratively and literally when you're writing is is the biggest killer for me I yes. hate that yeah yes
1: yeah. yeah there's some interesting there's some interesting stuff of anti like you know getting over the blank page exercises that I've been given over the years and never really actually done Don gave me a page of stuff from John Hollenbeck that is kind of you know things you, questions you can ask to get started and mm-hmm. somewhere I've got a bunch of sheets from Jim McNeely too that are like that where it's mm-hmm. he, Jim McNeely says the composer's job is to ask what if hmm. and so and kind of like can kind of feel like, I just remember. I remember on the sheet it says, "What if the Barry Saxophone went crazy right here?" But right, right. But uh, you know, interesting. What if it did? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. If Chris Gale walked in the door right now and just played a crazy solo, that'd be pretty awesome. Hmm, that would be cool. <laughs> um, what what does writing do for you? Like, um,
0: like, uh, are you ever expressing something specific uh, when you're when you're writing? Like, do you have, do you ever have something happen in your life and you're like, I'm gonna write something right now? Or, or, does yeah, a motion movie yeah. Do
1: absolutely. I mean. You know I write for for art's sake and for the for uh, for specific stuff. This actually this next quartet album is called A Very Large Gap, mm. and um, it's it's a it's the title tune. It's a tune I wrote after um, I have a friend I, well, I toured with these musicians from Mali from West Africa, mm-hmm. and um, one of them lives basically in abject poverty in Mali, mm. and uh, while we were in New York, I got a phone call from. a mutual friend, that that his wife and one of his daughters died from typhoid fever, which is a treatable disease, and and it really messed me up to think that, you know, this person that I toured with, like, it wasn't the sort of, like, you know, uh, anonymous face of poverty, like, oh, you know, people die every year of diseases in Africa, and that's bad, like, it was, like, this person I knew and toured with, Mm -hmm. wife and daughter, you know, and so, I kind of dedicated the whole album to to that, that idea of trying to overcome that gap in in our world and in our society. So Mm -hmm. I've been thinking a lot about that and, and also about making, you know, how, how do you make instrumental, abstract instrumental music, you know, Mm -hmm. especially modern jazz, you're talking about music that reaches, you know, real, so you're not reaching a lot of people, like it's not, Mm -hmm. but so how do you make that music make as much of a difference as you can or or Mm -hmm. what, what kind of social message change could you, could you you know provoke or thought you could you make from from that music so that's certainly there mm. i mean uh and that's what this, this i next mean album it's part of part of it i mean
0: i would think would be it's about you it's about you know this person who's had this experience and you're, you happen to be an artist and, and you're creating that music i mean it's probably affecting it you know even a small change in the world that one person is is thinking about that and relating to that sort of horrible thing that happens in a a new way you know totally and I mean and also like the expression of instrumental music I think uh, like the state of the mind of the composer is kind of important yes I seem to think like you know someone that feels this way and then the writing then the music is about that I mean sure it is absolutely it's proceeding from I think
1: intention intention has a huge part of the message of music like Mm. you know what what you intend it to be about or feel about hopefully is is kind of buried in there Mm -hmm. somehow totally you know even though it's intangible so that's I mean that's the heavy side of that answer, and then the the light side is that I read a lot of things as kind of exercises, like playing playing exercises or whatever. Like Nick Nick and I get together and practice sometimes together, and we call it mutual humiliation society.
0: Oh, really? So we, oh, this uh, is interesting. I mean, yeah, I haven't a, heard of this
1: before. Yeah, well it's a it's a it's a closed it's a closed society <laughs> of Society. I'm yeah, right. and yeah. Uh, you know we just work on some of these really hard things like metric modulation things or. He's got these like pulse tracks from Anthony Braxton that are really hard. That that his quartet would play underneath while he plays other stuff on top, and that's what we did last time we got together and sort of mm. work on these really hard rhythmic things together. Mm. And so sometimes out of that comes this thing that you can't do, and so then I smartly write a tune about something we can't do, and then ah yes, and then hopefully after embarrassing ourselves long enough, we can do it. So. Right. I feel like Coltrane. Uh did
0: that too, right? Sure, right? Like, you know, thing musical yeah, concepts yeah. that you come along would be uh, expressed yeah. in his writing. That's that's cool. That's interesting. So I feel like, you
1: know, you can work on these things, but then if there's no outlet for it, then you don't have a place to put it out there. Mm-hmm. Peripheral Vision mm-hmm. definitely likes to play comp, like, we like to take those sort of complicated ideas and, and see how we can make them easy or, or our own or right. play through them. Or So cool. there's a lot of that in our music We're we're mm. sort of trying trying to stretch things you take, take something hard and see how far you can stretch it and how far you can go with it mm. you know that's a dimension to uh, kind of artistic growth that I
0: often forget about is getting with other players mm. getting out of the practice solo practice room and getting with other players well doing in this such a wonderful this, way doing so, this must be doing uh, that for you you get to play well, some tunes is, and talk about it it and... is yeah it kind of is it's my, my ulterior motive is to steal yes. everyone's ideas yeah well, I make myself a better player this doesn't really feel
1: unlike unlike <laughs> a a mutual humiliation society to get together and play yeah, and talk about it Yeah,
0: sure totally that's great man um cool well why don't we just uh, play another tune and uh and call it a day awesome do you yeah. want to try reading something of mine I would love to or? yeah yeah we could uh I also would like
1: to try tuning mics like, so. okay Sharp is better than flat. I feel like, because that means cold. I totally agree. Yeah, the jungle. The jungle definitely caused some um, moisture on instruments. Oh yeah, it's I can a, only I'm imagine. I'm glad not to bring my nice, nice bass there. it. Yeah. Hard to believe that's
0: part of the U.S. You know, Panama. Yeah, well, it's, it's Yeah. It's not anymore. They're oh, it's not portfolio. anymore. Oh. Yeah. Pardon They're me. fully
1: their own, their own scene.
0: Right. Yeah. Okay. Pardon me if there's any fans from Panama listening to this. uh...
1: They're they're their own scene. Cool. For sure. So yeah, it's kind of like a... um, What's that song called? Oh, yeah. Uh, All blues. Totally. Yeah. It's got that kind of of feel. Okay. Kind of bluesy 3-4. Great. You got a melody? Sure. One, two... Three, one, two, three.
0: Fearless and kind by Michael Herring. Nice tune. Thanks. Yeah. Is that has that
1: been recorded? It's coming out on that new uh, quartet album.
0: Oh, great. Yeah. Great. Cool. Um, so, any performances you'd like to let people know about? Uh,
1: uh, March twenty-first. Uh, maybe I should. Where's my phone? I feel like I should actually know a date. Ah. I yeah. should. I should have been readier. Oh, that's okay. Got to be uh, more on the uh, thing. The uh, March twenty-first mm-hmm. is is going to be the uh, the CD release for that quartet album with, with Chris Gale, Dave French, and Nick Fraser. Mm-hmm. And then March 5th, I think. Where, where is that happening? That's though? at the Emmett Ray. The Emmett Ray, Ray okay, great. And then on Saturday, March 5th, way north, my um, band with Rebecca Hennessy, Richie Barche from New York, and Peter Cancura from Ottawa we're playing at the Rex. Sunday Fantastic.
0: 5th. And that's the band you went down south with? Exactly. Amazing. So those are the
1: two big things coming up.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much, Michael. I yeah, kind of yeah Thanks, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Great man. playing with you, man. Super fun. Yeah,
1: we're going to do this again soon. That'd be great.